Hello and welcome to We Are The University, a podcast about the people who make Cambridge unique. I'm your host, Nick Saffel. In this episode, we meet James Biddle, the headmaster of the University of Cambridge Primary School. We talked about the school's character and vision, how learning should always be joyful, how a trip to Nepal helped him realise that he wanted to become a teacher, and we also find out how he inspires the team of teachers around him. A head teacher is not just one person, it's the kind of the the amalgamation of all the people that have that, that I've interacted with, and the same with any human being. Mm. Um, so, you know, although, you know, we, we, I'm, there's a success in leading the school, um, that success is a shared one. It's the, the people who've, who've, who've guided and nudged me and pushed me in the directions mm. that sometimes felt uncomfortable and didn't want to go. But, you know, the, um, and there are many people I could talk about, you know, Angela Tapscott, Pam Bernard, um, Alison Peacock, the, 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 my own team at the moment, my leadership team at the moment, are, are, are kind of inspiring people to work with because they are very reflective and, and uh, go, out there, go out of their way to make it work. Um, but I suppose, you know, people like my grandmother, who's, she, was, she was Greek um, and she, she came from a small island in, in Greece. And when she was uh, 10, she was, you know, there was too many children in the family. She had to go and live with her sister in, in Egypt. Right. Um, so, you know, for a young 10-year-old to, to leave on that donkey to go to the, the, the place of the pharaohs um, and to live, you know, a different life there during the war yeah. and then met my grandfather who came to, from, who's English, they came here, then it lived in Zimbabwe. Um, the, so that, her story of, of um, migration, her yeah. story of, 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 of poverty, of kind of the diversity that she experienced really has kind of is part of my kind of my habitus as a as, yeah. as james as, as james as well as the head teacher yeah so my my real interest in inclusion and diversities and 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 kind of understanding that the kind of that everyone comes with their own joy and suffering yeah. and how do we kind of respond in a compassionate way that mm-hmm. that is that is um kind of trying to build community rather than separate so she would be in a kind of inspiring one of my five we haven't really talked about why you became a teacher. Where did that idea come from? Well, I never wanted to be a teacher. I um, was always told that oh, you're very good working with children um, at, at any family events. I was always looking after the younger cousins. So I always resisted the idea that I was just, just going to be a teacher, as if it was a kind of a second-class job. Well, is it, there's that just word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. just a teacher. Just yeah. a teacher. Um, where do you think that comes from? I think the Chartered College of Teaching, this new professional body for teachers, is trying to uh, establish a new, a new vision, a new, uh, a new vision for the profession. Yeah, um, and to say that we're a, a valuable and valued member of society, mm-hmm. members of society. Um, but I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, and when I when I left university, I won a scholarship to travel, and instead of just traveling around the world. I wanted to go and live somewhere and be part of a community, um, and you know, just looking at a map, I picked, I picked the east, and Nepal was there, and I like mountains, um, and found it's very it, different to Cambridge. Very yeah. different to Cambridge, and I found I grew up in Kent actually. Oh, okay. it's still very right. different. Okay, um, and found a charity that that, that brought graduates um, working with, um, in that case, Nepalese mm. um, graduates to go and work in in villages and schools, and I realised sitting in the sun having taught in a secondary school and a primary school mm. for a few months in, in uh, eastern Nepal, that, you know, I could actually get paid for doing something that was so enjoyable. Um, so I decided to come back to, to, 
to uh, do my PGC and, and worked here in Cambridge to do that. Yeah. Um, and some of the people that inspired me, you know, Pam Bernard, who was my P- one of my PhD supervisors, actually taught me um, as part of the PGC course in 2001. And um, she's been part of my kind of professional learning journey th- throughout throughout the time. When I did finish the PGC, I went to East London um, and worked in a couple of schools there. Um, the first class I had actually was, was the most complex and joyful experience I think I've ever had. I say, what was... Well, the, the, the class I inherited had had five teachers the year before. So that class had no trust in any adults. Um, and Angela Tapscott, who's a good friend who recently passed away and, and was my first head teacher, she said, just make sure you love them. Let them know that by Christmas time you love them so much that you're not going to go away. Um, and it worked because yeah. after Christmas we actually started learning something okay. you know, in terms of academic stuff. Mm. We'd learned how to be a community in a classroom. Right. One of the things I learned from her um, that I try to bring into my own practice now as a, as a serving head teacher is she opened doors for me. She kept right. finding opportunities that would, that would keep me inspired and excited about, about learning and about working in a school. Um, so she, you know, when I said I wanted to take a group of children to Spain... She said, well, okay, let's, let's make it work. So she found right. funding. She, you know, we, we, we created projects. She allowed me, she trusted me to take children all the way to another country to do a creative arts project. Um, she, um, she invited me to become an advanced schools teacher in the school. So I was able to work not only in the school, but also in partnership with others. Pam Bernard also, uh, she, you know, Angela said, you need to do a master's. So I was excited about doing a master's. Pam Bernard then said, you need to do another master's and do it here in Cambridge. Um, and then after that, you need to do a PhD because it's a kind of constantly learning. So I've constantly, I've been kind of um, learning alongside being the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think that has, has led me to be the head of a school that is about learning. Okay. Um, and, you know, the University of Cambridge Primary School is, wants to be a centre of professional learning. Uh, as well as being a brilliant primary school for children. What gives it this sort of university status if it's a primary school? What makes it different to another primary school besides just being attached to a university? So but... when the government in 2010 um, decided to give the university, mm. um, it, it granted the right to open a primary school as a university training school. It didn't really know, the government didn't know what it meant by university yeah. training school. It allowed us to, to, to create that. So we've really defined that in three ways. The first is, to, and the most important thing is to be a brilliant primary school. Okay. The second is to be a um, to support initial teacher education, so new teachers coming to the field, um, and we do that with the faculty and increasingly with mm. others. Um, and the third, which is where the unique selling point is, is to be a research informed school, so principal yeah. our ideas on on empirical evidence, um, and research generating. So. Um, we're still on a, we're still very young. We're just over a thousand days old, yeah. and so we, our main task is to set up a brilliant primary school for for the children yeah. whom we serve and their families. If I was to walk into the school, what would I see on a, a just an average day? I just walked in. How how would things be different? So as you walk to our school building, the first thing you'll see is a world map that really is a symbol of the inclusivity of our school, that we are, we are a school that has children from all around the world mm-hmm. um, and that we celebrate diversities within the school. Um, as, you, as you enter the, the main door, you'll enter the, the dining room, which is, you know, the heart of, you know, the kitchen and dining room is the heart of many people's family homes. Yeah, of course. It's the heart of our school. But you, you'd probably be struck that it's quite quiet and calm. And um, It's not what I expect of a, 
No, no. But, yeah. And um, it's it's calm because that that place there is becomes lively at lunch times. Yeah. Um, but all the the, the the from that from that that uh, dining room are clusters where children are learning in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you walk through the, to the first cluster, you'll see you'll be part of a learning street. You'll be in the learning street, which is our name for a slightly wider corridor. Um, there are no doors on the classrooms, mm-hmm. and some people say that's a kind of gimmick from the seventies. Um, but it's it is an intellectual decision because we want to be a trusting community in which people learn with each other and children can learn across the learning street and go into different classrooms and that um you know teachers um can can step into each other's practice mm-hmm. in, in a much more fluid way um but the learning street allows children to move into the into that space to learn independently still be kind of monitored and checked that safe you know safety is is fine yeah. um so the building has a sense of trust and flexibility in it mm. that I want to inspire my my kind of my team as educators um, and the administrators who support us um, to make it you know what's into the, that kind of flexible possibility thinking is important. Mm. Um, you'll see children independent. You'll see children lying on the floor, um, on laptops working together. Sometimes reading by themselves in a, in a nook. Uh, teachers will be engaged in small groups. Yeah. There'll be a sense of I think the word that people often use is a sense of joy and a, a kind of positive purposeful energy in this space it's not rushing through education Mm -hmm. it's about creating quality experiences that really provide in-depth kind of learning for children and i guess uh, my thought when i'm thinking about that if there's so much going on do kids pay attention like are they totally engaged do they find it difficult with there's so many things if there's learning streets and no doors and they well do any find it difficult to concentrate or just thinking well because we have a real focus on kind of mindful practice right um for example we, we start the day with children coming to the school and they into their classrooms and they, we st- we start with singing so we sing for 10 minutes each day um you know singing is good for you there's lots yeah. of evidence that says it you know puts airs in your you know air in your lungs it's a community building mm. um and then after this after the singing circle the children have a meditation or a mindful uh, a mindful session which is about kind of five six minutes um, and then it's, it's a sense of space making. We're coming together for this new for this new day together as a community, and we're able to talk about the responsibility that we each have as individuals, but as a as a member of a community in in a classroom, but also um, in a wider school, mm-hmm. and then you know at the wider community and then mm-hmm. the global community. So there's um, the kind of talking and thinking about that with children. So because of that practice. I think the children and our values are very kind of strong in in the way that we we kind of work with children and manage children. Um, you know, the, the sense of empathy and trust and courage. You know, courage to take risks. So children say they're not allowed to say I can't do it unless they say yet at the end of it. I can't oh, do it yet. Interesting. Um, so children say I can't do it yet. You're definitely um, instilling grit there. It's in a, a yeah. sense of uh, that, and it's not a false. You know, it's not a false hope because. No. You, everyone can get better at it, you know. Yeah. You, you know, you know. You may not be kind of Pavarotti, or um, but um, everyone can learn how to sing. Everyone can improve their, their singing voice. No, everyone, everyone can be Hussein Bolt, but um, you can all learn how to run. Yeah. Though the children are still trying to encourage me to run better and faster. Right. Um, so there's a sense of grit there in, in the um, in the ethos. So that I don't think mm. the children are distracted. I mean, children get distracted, of course. Yeah, of course. But the the culture that we're trying to create, um, that's where my real learning from my previous school is. How do you create the culture first? Mm-hmm. Because if you create the culture and you get the right people, um, then 
then you, everything's possible because we, you know, we can learn together. Yeah, we can move beyond the difficulties together. The involvement from all parties must be so high. If, if joy is one of the key key things at the school, I mean, the, as you're saying that, my question is why why shouldn't it be joyful? Yeah. You know, why, you know, why is this? Why shouldn't a school? You know, shouldn't all schools be joyful? You know, it seems obvious that joy in in childhood is key and joy and mm-hmm. happiness um and with those with those factors in play then children are more likely to want to be in school and more likely want to learn and feel safe to take risks does this theme of risk taking also spread to the staff yeah so <clears throat> in a climate where you know um there's a shortage of teachers we we initially started you know recruiting teachers who um had the academic um, qualifications and who were excited about, you know, being researching teachers. Mm. Um, but increasingly, as the time, as as the years have gone on in our school, and we're only joining, our, entering our fourth year, um, we because the values we have a values-led curriculum, um, the values of our school, and the way we want to work are really important for us. Mm. So we're we're recruiting people who can demonstrate that they have experiences where they've lived a certain set of values and can talk about those things and right. they can explain how they've how they've uh, been resilient and overcome become you know difficulties in their professional and personal lives okay um or people who who've shown empathy in in mm. practice or who kind of feel there's a sense of trust that we could build and trust is an important part of, of the school so there are five values that yeah. are part of our curriculum there's there are empathy respect trust courage and gratitude um, and along all those things is that sense of humility. Okay. How do we um, get our egos out the way and say, well, what, what's going on for us and for our children? And how do we collectively find a way through for them? Mm. So where do they sort of come from? Like, where does the sort of strategy at day one, well, obviously not day one of teaching, but day one of we're going to build the school, where do you sort of start getting the ideas from? Where, do, where does that sort of thought process come from? Well, before I joined... Um, uh, Dame Alison Peacock and others at the university, um, they asked, the first question was, wh- why should a university run a primary school? That's, that was kind yeah. of an important question to, to ask. a big one, yeah. Um, and then when, they've, when kind of that was worked out, that the university could be contributing through a t- with a tangible example of how it, education research can, can make a difference for one community, um, when that had been kind of worked through... Um, and looking at the Cambridge Primary Review, which is the biggest piece of research in primary education for, for a number of years, um, the question was, what would the school be like? What would it, what would it look like? And so the, from this mud field in the, the northwest Cambridge, um, ideas about the design um, that were looking again at research mm-hmm. for Julia Barfield, who, um, whose company designed the London Eye. They, oh, wow. they, right. they're, the, they're the architects of our school. Um, they they were very kind of intellectual about looking at research and looking at other examples, mm. um, historical and current, to what a school would look like. But a school is not a building, and although we have a lovely building on the edge of Cambridge, um, it's more about know, the ethos. It's, it's about what it's about the people within it. Yeah. Community is about people, mm. um, and so um, when I was employed, uh, I had to start articulating what the vision, what the how the vision would translate into into the realities of, of classroom experience. Um, and having worked, having set up a school in, in East London um, with the Avanti Schools Trust um, th- that was um, had an Eastern Hindu-based ethos, mm-hmm. um, 
I learnt so much from being in that school because the, the values were the core of the of their curriculum, and I saw how living a set of values that became shared in a community could create the the right environment and space in which children can learn well and which teachers have a chance to to um, tinker with their practice, which is important. Uh, you know, Hargreaves talks about tinkering with with your practice. So teachers are are allowed to make risk, are allowed to take risks and play around with their ideas and practice to see okay. how they can make it better. So how does that work in practice? The idea of tinkering around but staying on point, staying within the curriculum. How do, you know what flexibilities are teachers yeah. allowed? The sense of being allowed to do something is not the kind no. of language okay. we might use in our school. So encouraged, you know, tr- trust is yeah. trust is an important feature. So we're all responsible. I have responsibility. Yeah. We all. In our own in our own roles, have a responsibility to making it better for every child, mm. um, and that's the kind of the, the how we talk about our practice in school. But an, an example of of how we um, tinker with our practice is through an approach called called lesson study, which is um, Pete Dudley from the Faculty of Education has researched significantly um, about lesson study. So the, you know, an example is I would plan a lesson as the head. Right. Um, I, some of my colleagues will then share that planning. They'll they'll kind of add their ideas. I'm, the, I'm then going to teach the lesson with my colleagues watching me. Um, and then after that lesson, they, we kind of unpick, we, we critique the lesson. Um, so there's the sense that the head is being um, kind of is risk taking by yeah. being publicly saying that I'm going to give a go at this teaching, which I don't do every day as a head. Um, and then we um, it's no longer my lesson, it's about the mm. practice, it's about what's going on in the learning between, you know, that space between educator and child. Yeah. What's going on and how do we make it better? Um, and so modelling that to, to my team means that others are more likely to take risks and, and to feel encouraged and excited about finding out what's what's possible. If you've, you've got this sort of sense of community and you've got obviously got the community within the kids and they're obviously enjoying what they're doing and then you've got the enjoyment factor through the staff and the teachers and everything like that. You've got the third element of the parents and how much, you know, how much involvement do they have with the school or how much engagement do they have? I, I think that out of all the members of our community, the parents were the most bold in, in taking the leap of faith in, in joining our school. You know, when they first... When they first heard about the school, they saw me in a in a shed, on a mud field on mm. the edge of Cambridge, um, and and a vision and the the, uh, the markings of a circular building, and they you know they they took that leap of faith to say that this is where they wanted their children uh, to be educated. So they saw something different. They saw something in what we were trying to offer yeah. that was um, kind of a heartfelt and mindful approach to education. You know the fact that you know an example of that is that we've just we recruited last year a, a senior a senior role called mind body and soul, so this member of staff is responsible for you know explore you know developing philosophy for children in the mm. school, um, the physicality of children and getting them to be having healthy lifestyles through okay. kind of active uh, kind of active work, um, and kind of a notion of the sense of spirit whatever that may mean uh, for for different people. Yeah. Um, so that bringing everything to you know bringing those the, all aspects of being a human being together um rather than just focusing on rushing through to a curriculum to get results at the end of year, of year 6 yeah so we've we've always asked the question what will they what will our young people be like when they're 30 and when they're 20 and then when they're leaving um, primary school and we need to be thinking that our responsibility is for the 30 year olds mm. 
as well as the one that the children now care because I know there's a gap between primary school and being 30. Yeah. But if, if the evidence is true that the foundations of, of primary education set people up for you know, positive mm. uh, in lives and academic success later on, then we have a responsibility to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, and we've done that several times and uh, with, our, with our families, with, uh, with our kind of educating team um, and, and with children. You know, what, what we're going to be like when we leave primary school and what yeah. we'll be like when we're older. And that's a sense of developing compassionate citizenship, not only for our community, but for the future communities that the children will go and live and serve. Yeah. And many of them will be leading their own communities. I don't want to say mindfulness captain, but the person who's mm. sort of responsible for creating all the activities and things. How do you sort of blend them in into the... Um... So we have we have a loose timetable so that, right. because we have to manage, you know, covering people for lunch times and, and mm-hmm. you know, there are structural things that you need to have in place. Um, but as with the, the design of the building that is has a principle of flexibility um, and kind of trusting relations, you know, it's about nurturing trusting relationships within the building. Yeah. Um, the fact that we don't have any doors means that, you know, no one can really hide. That it's about sharing practice and... You know that was that was brought out in a very positive way in a yeah. recent inspection. That no having nowhere to hide is actually a positive thing because we can learn better. Yeah. Um, but the, the the kind of flexibility of the of the curriculum is important and the and the timetabling. Yeah. Um, so for example, if a, if a teacher really sees that children are loving writing um, poetry or writing stories or writing whatever it may be, why stop them after forty minutes? Let them keep going. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I trust the teachers to do what's right for their children and to kind of document and manage their time across the week so that, you know, the curriculum is, is broadly covered. Yeah. But there's in-depth learning and there's quality experiences happening for children. Uh, we've heard anecdotes from parents saying that, you know, the ch- their children have said, oh, we're going upstairs to do a, a, a five-minute mindful meditation. Right. And the parents are saying, I don't know what you're doing with our children, but it's, it seems to be working. Okay. Um, so... You know, they're very young children still, yeah. and we're only a very young school. But, uh, you know, the way that the children behave is exemplary. I think it is, they are very kind to each other. Obviously, things go wrong in a school. Mm. It's, it's, as I said, any human community, we make mistakes. And, you know, children are meant to make mistakes. That's the yeah. point of growing up and learning. Um, and how do parents and teachers guide them through those that mistake-making yeah. um, is important part of the learning as well as the academic aspect of course i know quite a few american universities have primary schools attached to them is the cambridge university primary school following a similar model to the american universities um well we purposely didn't look to other places initially we wanted we had a blank canvas so we wanted to say well what you know what's right for the uk context Mm. um you know Politicians often go and visit other countries and they ha- they cherry-pick what they think is the best bit of that education system and they, they kind of migrate it back to the UK. Um, and it doesn't always work. You know, the, you know education con- is contextual. The Cambridge Primary Review talks about mm. the community um, curriculum. You know, the schools should design their curriculum based on where they are. Okay. Um, so the um, we, didn't, we didn't want to go and f- look elsewhere initially. Obviously, now we're set up, we're going, we're going to want to learn. Um, we wanted to say, well, what, what is our university training school for us in Cambridge with a specific uh, kind of historic community yeah. being where we are? Um, and initially, you know, as I said, we're only, we're only three years old. We're going to our fourth year. 
our main responsibility was to make a brilliant primary school for children. Right. Um, we are now in a position, um, having now established and embedding our work, we're now in a position to kind of realise what the university training school could be. Okay. That's interesting. And I but guess... We're, but what we're not, we're not an experiment on children. I would, that was my next question. Is how do you find that balance of yeah. you, you know, using research obviously to formulate good practices, then trying to do sort of the next batch of practices by using yeah. the school, I guess. How do you strike that balance? Well, it goes back to the the notion of of teachers as professionals who who tinker with their practice. Right. You know, we talked about you know, I think Andy Hargreaves talks about teachers tinkering with their practice is about research. You know, seeing yourself as a researcher. Um, so one of my one of my teachers is doing a master's at the moment, and her her thesis is about um, how to improve um, boys' self esteem through writing. Like, you know, yeah. short boys don't often like writing nationally, um, and so she's she's exploring you know what's going on in her classroom, why mm-hmm. why some of the boys not doing as well as uh, as she wants them to do. Um, that kind of Looking at research, yeah. playing with your practice, trying to put, putting something to, in in play, yeah. and see what happens is is one level of, of research. We're also working yeah. with um, um, colleagues at the faculty. So Dr. Fiona Main is lead researcher for a project about cultural literacies called Dials. Okay, um, we we're going to be working with her um, in in this project. This a European wide project that's looking at how do we improve. Uh, cultural literacies or children's awareness of diversity across across Europe through literature through right. wordless wordless li- literature so that's another example so we are you know, the teachers are learning alongside academics as they are researching what children mm-hmm. are saying about text or visual you know visual text or, yeah. or, or multimedia okay rather than saying we're going to plug you in to a machine yeah. and see what your brain's doing when you're playing we're not doing that kind of okay um, experimentation on children okay and then when you're taking the practices how much time do you give that practice well it's important that we you know that we ethically important that we can't Mm. fail children we can't let them let them fail um that doesn't mean that teachers playing around with ideas and Mm -hmm. and and they're you know thinking differently about their practice Uh, you know if you don't give it a go how do you know it may it may not work better yeah you know um but we wouldn't obviously trial it for a year and then say oh it didn't work and these children need now catch up for a year that wouldn't that yeah. wouldn't be ethically appropriate um so we you know we have a system you know there are structures in place within the school where we are my leadership team and i and within the community itself are quality assuring our work mm-hmm. um you know i have quality assurance of my work and my practice so it's about how do we you know high expectations and trust yeah um so you know if somebody is putting um, you know, role play into maths, for example. Okay. Um, we will ask them to document their thinking and what's going on for children over a period of three or four weeks, and then review right. to see whether it works. But you need to give some time for things to to say they're working or not. Yeah. Because it'll take time for children to adapt. It'll take time for other colleagues to adapt. Um, but these aren't grand structural changes. These are again the idea of tinkering with the practice. Yeah, yeah, of course. When you tinker, you kind of nudge your way forward. You mm-hmm. you. You know, it makes small dance steps towards a kind of bigger yeah, showpiece. Bigger showpiece. Oh, I totally understand that. Because you've given this sort of freedom to teachers as well. Have you found lots of ideas come from the teachers as well as um, from research? Yeah, or the, t- the teachers 
um, who have read ideas or, yeah. or read something who will come to us and will come to I say us, I mean the community, us as educators, yeah. not the, not me as a head. Yeah, will come and say, well, you know, this I've read this. I want to try this in my classroom. Um, and is that okay? Which is that is that okay to do that? Um, so we, our job, my job is, and my my leadership team's job is to question and to find where where all the pitfalls will be. Yeah, possibly, and so that a person has thought about it in the in the most kind of intellectual way. Um, so, for example, my year one team have said they want to make year one experience more like early years. Right. So they put together um, a, a kind of a paper that, that demonstrated what the, what the research says about early early learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a, a list of furniture that they wanted because they wanted the space to be look different. Right. And they they gave me a timeline and how they're going to make sure that the children's experience and the standards will, will always be high. Um, so they that's given the green light and so they're going to go ahead with that um now they have the responsibility to make it work yeah that's where the trust comes in that of course you know my they know that my job is to make sure that it, the quality is high um their job is to make it happen that example of the the year one um to reception did you say is that sort of a something that you can visually see is that sort of just they're they're like um working in groups or is that I walked into the classroom to, um, this morning, and there are no there are no more tables and chairs in the classrooms. Okay. There's a, there's, a, there's a couple of sorry, there are a couple of tables, but there are only a couple. There's not enough for thirty children to sit at, at once. Interesting. Um, so it's the, got rid of the uniform sort of yeah, style of learning. Yeah, and yeah. so the the children, the space is going to is going to will enable children to be much more playful and and um, much more like early years practice where mm. children are being taught on the carpet for short bursts of time and then they are independently um, working on activities inside and outside. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean, just going back to the building, you spoke about, you know, what's special about the school. The, mm. the building, although it's a lovely building on the edge of Cambridge and it's, you know, it's well designed, the principles could be applied to any school in any part of the country. So the idea that uh, children could have access to outside learning uh-huh. You know, even when I worked in a Victorian school in East London with three stories, and I was on the top story, we were able to get outside because the head teacher said get them outside more often. So, even though we had to walk down the stairs, the yeah. principle of getting children outside is is the one that could be applied anywhere. Yeah, the principle of independence. You know, finding space where children can be can can learn without the intervention of teachers there all the time is a principle that could be applied elsewhere. Um, and do you find, because you've talked about the sort of um, learning corridor and the sort of breakout sort of rooms, do you find that kids just navigate themselves toward those areas? Or is that... The learning streets are... Learning um, streets. Yeah, yeah. The learning streets are um, have different activities within them. Right. Um, and there are spaces that are for independence. So um, okay. some of the activities are timetabled in. So, um, okay. Because otherwise you could have 180 children in one space, which is, you know, doesn't Chaos. quite work. Yeah. Um, so they are, there are timetabled spaces within the curriculum called playful inquiry, right. where children are in and out doing different things. That um, they're expected to achieve those. You know, there's quite a high expectation. You can't just go and mess around outside or, you, can, you know. Yeah, it, I just wonder there, there needs to be this trust and freedom. Um, yeah. I mean, I've walked around many, you know, many times in the, in the summer term. I really saw children completely focused. One example is that children were 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 um, travel agents, and they were they just um, designed their travel brochures. In year one, these are five year olds travel yeah. brochures, 
um, and they've convinced me which country I need to go to next okay. um, through their kind of presentation to me. And then when I was outside, it was a lovely sunny afternoon, and they were um, they'd set up an aeroplane. They, the chairs were out. They they were loading <laughs> things onto the aeroplane. We're off. Okay. Um, now those children were completely engaged and in the space of being uh, travel being, agents, being, no, being or, being stewards and stewards and yes. pilots and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and passengers. So when I was talking to them, I wasn't talking to them as ch- as children. They were in those roles, and yeah. it was impossible to get them out of the role. Okay. You know, and I and I tried to talk about other things. They, they, they were in it. So Just, they're yeah. learning something, uh, you know, and through play. Yeah. But they're learning about, you know, what it means to travel. They're learning about the sense of responsibility and, and you know, when there was a big problem in the aeroplane, they all had to get their jackets on and they were, um, you know, there's a sense of joy in the school that is, yeah. that is lovely to be around and, and very kind of privileged to lead that community. And... Um, I guess with um, did you did those sort of ideas of joy and things like that come from your previous experiences of schools, or is it just you know something you've tried to instill in this in this school? If you look on our on, on our website, my welcome page says it starts with I love school and I love I still love learning, and I think that's you know I found primary school and secondary school and university. I just loved it. I loved just enjoyed it, um, and so I think part of the reason why I'm a primary school teachers that I want to continue this sense of joy in learning mm-hmm. um, because you know learning can be great you know I try to keep learning myself right. um, yeah. and so I think probably my experience my own experience of being in primary school have influenced the joy that I want to create with my team in, in, mm-hmm. in developing an experience for children in our school the involvement from all parties must be so high. If, if joy is one of the key, key things at the school, I mean, the, as you're saying that, my question is why? Why shouldn't it be joyful? Yeah. I mean, why, you know, why is this? Why shouldn't a school? You know, shouldn't all schools be joyful? You know, it seems obvious that joy in in childhood is key, and joy and mm. happiness, um, and with those with those factors in play. Then children are more likely to want to be in school and more likely want to learn and feel safe. 